All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Barbell Therapy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Brett Scott. Uh, today, we're mixing things up a little bit here where I have uh, one of my clients, Janelle, with me, who uh, has recently become a um, life coach and had some questions for me about my experience with chronic pain as I do have it myself. And I've been dealing with this since I was about 20 years old. Uh, so about the past 10 years of my life. And uh, as I am someone that also works with a lot of people with chronic pain, uh, my thoughts about it there. And she just kind of approached me about it and asked, you know, if she could interview me, ask some questions. And I figured uh, putting my thoughts and experiences out on the podcast might be a good way to do it or better use of uh, my time and uh, might benefit someone out there looking for help. So I figured we'd just put it out here in that way. So uh, Janelle, go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and uh, what your experiences have been leading you up to becoming a life coach here. Yeah. So um, I love I love your um, entrepreneurial spirit in terms of getting the most value out of anything. So I have to appreciate it with you, Brett. Yep. Um, but my background is um, I'm a, well, it's actually a health and wellness coach, but you probably one in the same, I would, I guess I would say, but um I life work, coaches do get a bad rap. So yeah, I mean, no offense, Sorry. but it's a life coach. I, I don't care. Um, but yeah, so I am. I work full time, corporate America. That's my job. But I've always had an interest in health and wellness. Um, I was I became a massage therapist. I did some additional training, and at some point, I ran across um, pain science, and it just very much intrigued me in terms of how. Um, all the different components of your life, whether it's the actual physical injury or lack of and your brain and neuroscience, all that. I've just been fascinated with over the past like 10 years, I would say. Um, but last year, I actually decided I'm going to make a change in my life. So I became a certified health and wellness coach with the goal of eventually um, coaching for pain for people with chronic pain. Um, and I don't, I have a little bit here and there, but I don't suffer like on, on a, a terrible level. Um, so I was like, well, let me make sure I'm, you know, getting the right information that what I'm, I'm doing is, is appropriate. And I'm like, who can I talk to? And then I'm like, oh yeah, duh, Brett, uh, not only because you experience it that you've shared with me, but also that you work with people that have it. So it was just really serendipitous opportunity to, to chat with you. So thank you for your time. No problem. And uh, I'll let everyone know too, Janelle is a badass uh, national champion weightlifter that trains here as well. So, That's right, yeah. Um, if, if she has a lot of pain that I don't know about, she's doing pretty well at managing it with the weight she puts up. Um, so let's uh, go ahead. And so what did you want to start with, Janelle, of uh, just kind of, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about me and then uh, or my own experience and then um, my experience of working with patients and my understanding of pain science. So where did you want to begin? I want to start with you. I want to. I want everybody to get to know Brett a little bit more. So I want to understand. Yeah, if you just want to give a brief, 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 brief background in terms of um, what you're dealing with when it started, um, that'd be great. And then maybe we can go into a little bit about what you've tried, what's worked, what hasn't, some things that might be um, advice you would give to people. But we can start with just the facts. Give us the facts. Uh, yeah. So my experience with chronic pain was, um, I was in exercise physiology school. I was actually working at a PT clinic. Um, and I had just kind of had this shoulder pain start and was like kind of naggy. And what I now know was like impingement syndrome. 
Um, but it kept getting worse and worse. I was doing rehab and nothing was really uh, working. And like I had gone from, you know, kind of doing this pretty heavy, heavy, intense, like bodybuilding routine. Like I was a gym rat five, six days a week. Couldn't stop me. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was like, I couldn't lift overhead and then bench pressing started hurting. I went to PT. I like knocked all my activity down and, uh, it got a little better. And then like one night I remember I like went to pull the sheets up over my head and I got worse again and back to PT. And she was like, let's get an MRI. Maybe you tore a labrum or something. So we went, did that. And no findings on the MRI besides the uh, surgeon said it looked like it, the and the joint was very inflamed for some reason. So one more time, PT, whatever. Then I uh, was still dealing with that. Then, so that was my left shoulder. And then all of a sudden my left hip started bothering me. It was kind of the same symptoms. Uh, instead of overhead, lifting it was squatting. And then started treating me for that. So I'm a PT student. I'm an employee of this place. I'm getting treatment there for shoulder and, and hip. And then one day I said, um, to the PT, I'm like, hey, my left hip isn't bothering me today, but my right one is. And she's like, something's wrong here. Like, this isn't adding up. You're 20 years old. You're pretty healthy. Like, you go to the gym every day. You know what you're doing. Like, we need other tests. I'm like, maybe there's something underlying here. <clears throat> so from there, I um, was sent to a rheumatologist. And funny enough, and this is why I'm such a big uh, person that says to advocate for yourself, is went there, told them, you know, what was going on. Um, and I had noticed too, that all my joints had started cracking all the time. Like I like sitting for five minutes, I would just like lean back and like a zipper up my spine. Um, my shoulder was popping all the time. My hips were popping all the time. And this was completely new for me. And I was like, something just doesn't feel right here. All, I had like tendonitis everywhere. Uh, something wasn't right. And then I was having this, and then I started having this searing SI joint pain. Um, so then I started seeing a chiropractor too, and he couldn't seem to figure anything out and went to a rheumatologist. They basically had me bend over, touch my toes, reach side to side and said, it doesn't seem like anything's wrong with you, but they sent me for blood work, came back for a follow-up. It was, they tested me for, up and down the river. Was, you don't have this, you don't have that, blah, blah, blah. We missed this one thing and we put it in the wrong vial. So it didn't test, but I don't think it's that. Uh, back and forth, back and forth. And then I was like, okay, like, I, why am I in all this pain? Don't know. Um, and then I was in pharmacology in school trying to manage all this stuff. Like I couldn't sit for like 10 minutes. It hurt so bad. Uh, I had to stop going to the gym. It was just like walking hurt for prolonged periods. Couldn't drive far. And then I was in school and we were learning about some of these biologic drugs uh, for like Enbrel, Humira, all those. And I, they, they brought up ankylosing spondylitis, which was this kind of increasing prevalence in the United States for men of the, that onset was around 18 to 30 years old. It was SI pain. It was hip pain. It was shoulder and back pain. Um, all the symptoms and the way it came on was me to a T. I like looked at the screen. I was like, holy crap, that's me. I left class. I called the rheumatologist office. I was like, hey, was the one thing we missed in that vial HLA-B27, which is the antigen for it? And they said, yeah. But like, how did you know? I was like, I think I have it. We need to retest me for it. Went again. They somehow messed it up again. But finally, on my third time, I went back. I was like, yep, you're positive for HLA-B27 and ankylosing spondylitis. 
Um, so, um, for those of you that don't know what ankylosing spondylitis is, it's a um, inflammatory rheumatoid family disorder, which basically um, we have this this uh, metabolite, I guess I could say, called tumor necrosis factor or TNF, which basically just creates a lot of inflammatory activity in the body. And so um, for those of us with ankylosing spondylitis, what it does is it increases the degeneration of the spine just basically at a faster rate um, because of the inflammation that this um, necrotic factor creates and the antigen and antibody response we have. Um, and so it used to be called bamboo spine. So slowly over time, my spine is supposed to be fusing. Um, and, um, you know, in 20 years from now, I'm supposed to be hunched over uh, or, you know, wheelchair bound or what we don't really know. Um, you know, everyone, there's, there's various levels of this. And I think, um, part of me thinks I'm just lucky to have a, uh, more mild case of it. Um, however, I also have lived a very different lifestyle than most that have had this. Um, so, um, when I went there, uh, and you know, and this is what I see all the time as a medical practitioner too, is like, they don't give you a lot of hope. There's not a lot that can be um, done because a lot of medical practitioners just don't have time. So when I went there, so I, I saw the rheumatologist for my follow-up, um, and it was <laughs> the most interesting part here is I had to see this rheumatologist, and um, it, it was interesting before I even went to see her because the front desk woman, who was very friendly, uh, vetted me with the fact that the doctor's really weird. She's like almost autistic. Like she doesn't look at you. She won't really look at you or acknowledge you, but she's very smart. And like, she's found cancer in people before. I was like, what? Oh, that's quite an intro. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went in and she wasn't wrong. Like I, and, and so then, you know, she didn't look at me the whole time. Um, she just looked at her notepad. Didn't want to make eye contact. Uh, didn't really educate me on like what was happening. She basically told me, we're going to put you on this medication. Um, and you shouldn't lift any more than your body weight off the floor anymore. You should really stop lifting weights. You should just stretch and do yoga. And for me, that was like, nail my coffin shut. Right, right. Um, I didn't, those weren't things I was going to hear and uh, wanted to take. Uh, take as something I, like, I wasn't going to accept that answer. Yeah. So um, do you mind if I interrupt you? Because I have a question. Yeah, you move on. go ahead. So when you're starting to get like this shoulder pain, this hip pain, and um, how long was it between that started and when you couldn't even sit down in class? Like how quickly did it happen? Um, probably about four or five months, I would say. Mm, that's really fast. Um, it started with shoulder pain and then it was like all these things just started happening. I was like, what the heck? But you know, um, they hurt and, uh, but no one sees that on the surface. I'm like, I'm this young, I'm this muscular looking kid with, um, that's been going to the gym and plays sports and does all these things and hasn't let these things like taken over yet. Uh, so no one really like sees anything wrong. And then I'm told I'm overtraining. I'm just pushing it too hard. I'm not working out right. I'm like, I, I have a 4.0 as an exercise physiology (laughs) student. I work in a physical therapy clinic. Like I'm helping rehab people. Like I know the difference between right and wrong. Like I'm not training too much. Uh, I wasn't doing anything for a while. 
Um, so and it's like so, almost like if you hadn't had pushed and had been happened to be learning about that, like who knows when you could have connected the dots on your symptoms because you, yeah, exactly. Like your external um, appearance was so different than what um, you were actually experiencing. Yeah. And um, if it wasn't for that pharmacology class, I probably would have taken um, another few years to really figure out what was wrong because um, the doctor just kind of overlooked it and said, it can't be that even though it was, um, the chiropractor kind of just said, let's keep manipulating the PT. My PT, um, luckily, like after, you know, things went to a third and fourth joint was like, okay, something's up here. Um, cause that's one, just... I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, but I think, um, cause that's something I think people feel a lot, regardless of the cause of your pain is that, um, you're not either taken seriously or it's attributed to some like, um, basic thing. Like, yeah, you're working out too much, but you don't feel hurt. Maybe you didn't feel hurt. Like this is actually happening. This is yeah. true. And, um, you know, I was basically told like, just lay down and be a pancake and let this like take over. <laughs> and I was like, no, wow. I can't do this. Yeah. Um, I was even, I asked the, the rheumatologist, I was like, well, what about nutrition? Like, can I do something from a nutritional standpoint? She's like, no, that's not going to help this. I was like, and once she said that, I was like, about like, I need to find something else to do. Um, and I've actually never been back to a rheumatologist since, even though no one's supposed to prescribe this drug except a rheumatologist. I figured out a way. Uh, but it really just goes down to like, yeah, if I wasn't in that class, I never would have found this out. And that's the thing with ankylosing spondylitis. And a lot of, uh, we see a huge increase now in all these autoimmune factors, whether it be from our food, our environment and toxins in our worlds, there's more and more of this stuff coming up. And, um, we're just not diagnosing it as well. And like, I was actually kind of at the, where the prevalence of ankylosing spondylitis first started coming up. And then all of a sudden it was like, right after I got diagnosed, like all these drugs like Enbrel and Humira and all those started coming out. And there's even like commercials on TV and it sounded like a monster on the radio. Uh, oh, I think I remember people, those. Yeah. 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 Uh, but there for a long time, wasn't any, um, anything about it. It was kind of this rare disease. Um, so those were kind of, um, you know, the things I was told to do that I wasn't going to, uh, going to take uh, for an answer. And it sounded like you may have already even tried some of that, like taking rest time and, and not working out as much and that didn't help anyways, or did it even make it worse? Uh, yeah, it's kind of, and, and this is the thing with chronic pain too, is we see is like, uh, even now, even though I'm better now and, and I am on, I've, I've been lucky enough to find a medication that really works for me uh, to manage my symptoms as well as I can. Um, yeah, there's still like, I still recover slower than most people. Like it's always like, I just start, I got really stiff and it took me a long time to warm up and like I, I could foam roll for hours and still feel um, a difference. And like, even now, like, even now, like I competed a high level in weightlifting um, not the highest, but like I get banged up easier than most because my joints don't move as well. They're stiff. However, uh, that's been weightlifting has been the biggest like blessing for me as far as it's hard. Maybe I can't keep up as well with everyone else because, um, my spine naturally over time is, is going into a flexion based position where 
weightlifting, as we know, is very upright mm-hmm. and extension based. Uh, I did, I had some hip issues last year too. And I went to the doctors and like, he basically told me my hips were 10 years ahead of schedule for age and that I had like 40 year old hips with arthritis. And like, I was, I had limited joint, uh, joint space and like early onset arthritis. However, if I don't weight lift for, if I take a week off or anything, like my first session back hurts and people can like you, you've probably seen it too. It's like, I look stiff. I look like I'm probably in pain and I am, but it's like, I know now if I don't just do it and get through it in a safe manner, like I'll be better by the next session and the next session and the next session where if I, yeah, just take a lot of time off. Like if I leave weightlifting for a prolonged period of time, it just hurts. So it's like you're, uh, you're greasing the wheel with movement and it forces me weightlifting as a whole has like forced me to do the mobility stuff because mm. I'm motivated by the outcome of the goal. Um, like if I was just doing bodybuilding, like it's like, you don't need to stretch to bodybuild. You can be all balled up with muscle and not <laughs> be able to move and be stiff. Uh, but that would just make me worse where weightlifting has really uh, been a blessing to force me to do the things so that I can get the thing done that I want to do. What does that make you feel when somebody tells you, oh, you have the hips of a 40, 10 year old hips with arthritis? Like, is that even possible to know like what somebody's hips look like when you're 40 years old? Like, it just seems like they put these images out there of when I say they maybe like practitioners in some cases of like, they give you this grim visual of, oh, like you're imagining like, oh, my, my joints must be like, what is it, crusty in there? Like what's happening? Like, and, and you as a, a physical therapist, you probably know better than the average person, but like, how is that helpful? Or what do you think they're trying to do with sharing that kind of information with somebody? Um, I kind of want to save this for like the, oh, the, the second, second portion okay. on, um, put a pin in that. <laughs> on recovering people, uh, and helping them get better. Um, there's something to be said for it, it. And the doctor I saw was very helpful, actually, the orthopedic surgeon. Um, but, you know, he just kind of told me like, hey, like you have, you know, I think it was 10 millimeters, like less joint space than like the typical 30 year old's hip. So you need to consider like, you know, what is it you're getting out of the sport? And is this worth you pursuing? And, and if it is, then then fine. But just know, like, you know, you might get a hip replacement and, you know, 10 years from now, which to me is fine. Oh, uh, oh so he was saying that by you doing weightlifting, that might actually make it progress faster. Yes, which I somewhat disagree with. Uh, but yeah, for a lot of people uh, being told these things don't normally help and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there is, th- there is some stuff we'll go into there. But the Brett says, well, middle finger, F that. I'm yeah. going to do this anyways. Yeah. And you found uh, well, a way to, to make it fit in your life still. Yeah. Uh, and granted, it's not, I can't program like some, like I, like I would program some of my athletes or some of you guys, you know? Um, so I do, cause if I do squat too much or anything, like my hip does flare up, it will. Um, so I also have uh, FAI, which uh, is, femoral acetabular impingement syndrome, we call it. So basically, instead of a ball in a socket, I have an oval in a socket. So I don't have as much hip rotation from probably from my early days of 
I started playing hockey when I was three and was on all kinds of teams and stuff. So uh, we see a lot of that and a lot of males, uh, especially male hockey players. And so I have a bit less range anyways, so I'll flare up. But I think with the, the ankylosing spondylitis on top of that, it does make it a little bit worse. Yeah. And um, so I, I can deadlift more, but I have to squat less. Um, I'll do more power variations, then I'll go into like a full snatch because it just uh, will wear me down if I do too much and I can't recover. How much of your like mental energy time is spent on dealing with your, your pain, whether it's just pushing through it or thinking about it or planning about it. Do you spend a lot of time? Does that take up a lot of space in your life? Uh, That's a really good question. Um, It's definitely changed over time. Um, You know, when I first, when I first got diagnosed, it was really like, it kind of shattered me for a while. It'd be like, you know, stretch, do yoga, stop lifting weights. Um, nutrition isn't going to help. Like lifestyle factors aren't going to help you, which we know do. Uh, basically no one said here, do this and this will at least help. Like I didn't get that. Um, but I was like, I love moving. I'm like hyperactive all the time. And, and I just, I didn't take that for an answer, but for, you know, even now sometimes too, um, you you do worry like am i making this worse is this going to get worse like if i do this if me squatting and i'm in pain like am i going to pay for this later am i t- am i shredding my labrum is my joint you know changing on a daily basis things like that uh and so uh that's very hard and then um there's this like what does my future look like like that f- for me for a while especially in the beginning it's like this thing came on and progressed so fast where like I went from like squatting, deadlifting, benching, like lifting six days a week without any issues to I can't do bicep curls without searing SI joint pain. Wow. Uh, so that was really, so yeah, that was really hard uh, to be like, and, and the medication they put me on and they didn't tell me the first time the medication took three months to like kick in and work. So I took it for like three weeks. I had horrible side effects for a while. And I was like, forget this. Like, this is horrible. I went back and like, oh no, that doctor that didn't look at you forgot to educate you that this drug takes three months to start working. I was like, oh, okay, well, let's try it again. Uh, and luckily after three months, it started to get better. And, um, but even so, like it's slowly, like I still almost feel like I'm almost still getting better from it um, 10 years later. But for a while, it's like, yeah, like it, it, when am I what am I going to look like at 30? What am I going to look like at 40? What am I going to be able to do at these ages? Uh, is anything I'm doing good or bad or, you know, how does everything affect you in your long-term health? And it's like, do I try to do all these things to preserve myself, and eat this perfect healthy lifestyle or do I live, live wow, fast and yeah. hard and die young? <laughs> Right, because uh, you don't, you won't know, you won't know, you don't know, and, and nobody like, well, can give you an answer. Like, there's no certainty. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. S- and so there's still a lot to this they don't know. So, uh, and then coupled with put in the environment of physical therapy school, and physical therapy school is very behind the times too, uh, as far as understanding pain science or teaching it the way I think it should be uh, taught. And just the narratives we use. So, 
you go to school. So you go to physical therapy school, not you, <laughs> you go to school to become a good physical therapist, but PT school teaches you how to evaluate to cover your own ass mm. and teach you how to find everything that's wrong. And so that's still a big problem in all of, uh, you know, modern medicine is we go to the doctor and a lot of people don't like to go to the doctor because of the fear and anxiety they get when they, they go in with one issue and they come out with 50. So in PT school where I'm still kind of recovering from this in a way, uh, I'm not super mobile. I do have like hip joint pain that is on and off again. Uh, you know, every day we go into lab and it's like, oh, you're trying to weight lift? Like, you shouldn't do that. Like, you have this positive test and that positive test and this. And like, your hips don't move right. And this doesn't move right. And you're basically like, hmm. Yeah. And it, and, and so that can take up a lot of... Like, they're judging you for doing that because you should know better? Or... Are they just saying you shouldn't it, be doing that at all? Like just because of what's going on? Uh, you know, I think it's, um, I, I don't think it was like a, a, a judging me, but it's like some, some people are, and like as a, as a PT student, you don't know. Cause at this point we haven't explored pain science yet. Mm. We're, we're, we're taught in, in schools till still teach and medical providers still, still use the biomedical model yeah. of, if we find this, you have pain, which we, we now know like that's not true. So um, part of that was, yeah, it's just like as a student, we learned this and it's like, okay, well, if, if, if X equals Z, you know, you're Y. Right. And it's like, yeah, we have these special tests and we have, you have all these positive findings. So therefore like you're broken. And that's what a lot of, people still get in medicine is you come in. Yep. You have a positive MRI. That's why you're in pain. And it's like, no, no, no. Pain goes way deeper than that. But in school again, and every day you're coming in and told all these different things you have wrong with you. Uh, so, so we actually have a thing called PT student syndrome where you think you have everything wrong with you. Cause it's like, you know, you correlate a couple of the symptoms. Like my, my roommate literally at one point thought he was having a heart attack. Like he went to the doctor, he went to the emergency room. They're like, you have anxiety. It's probably like PT, it's PT school anxiety. Um, But because you're reading about it in the books and then you're, it's like, oh, that's really bad. And like all the, you know, it's all the negatives of all the bad things that happen to these people. And then you're told like, well, you have all these same things. It like really um, probably mess with me mentally more than anything else. Uh, between that and then it's like, yeah, we're active, healthy people trying to promote people to be better, but you're going to sit in a chair for 14 hours a day and study. Also doesn't help. Yeah, the uh, irony. Yeah, the irony. Yeah. So you were yeah. in, the, yeah, so you're like this viral, viral young man, like working out, da, da, da. You get this like unknown symptoms coming on. You kind of fell through the little, uh, cracks a little bit with your tests and you had to kind of, um, advocate for yourself to get this. So at least you got an answer on what's going on. But then the response is, well, just be a pancake. Don't do anything. Um, if you do, then maybe you're going to like make this escalate quicker and, you know, cause you issues sooner than later. But we really don't know. Um, here's some medicine, but we don't explain to you how it works. And so you're just like having to figure this all out on your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you have any other kind of social support? Uh, that the people that you could relate to what was going on? 
no, you're uh, the only person that really kind of was like backing me was my physical therapist, actually. Um, so she was my boss, but she was my my PT too, and she just like she she kind of saw it happen because I had been working there like before and through all this, and I was just like something's not right. And she was like, she even said, she's like, I don't buy that something's not wrong with you. And like, we need to get you help. Um, but other than that, like, even like, you know, uh, cause I, I didn't stop going to the gym. Like I couldn't do as much, but I try to go and do something. And like, then it was like, even my, my parents like didn't understand it. And that was really frustrating. Cause it was like, well, you know, why can't you do this? Like you're going to the gym all the time. And it's like, yeah, I'm trying to be healthy. Uh, so that, um, that was always tougher. Like, you know, I didn't want to stop participating in things. So like I still played hockey and I'd come, come home and like pay for it and be limping around the next day. But I was like, well, why can't you help your dad do the roof or whatever in this and that, which like, I, I get that too. But yeah, it's just like, there's, there's no one that has an understanding of like, or like even like the people I worked out with was like, come on, like, just like, you're fine. It's like, I'm not. So, um, that's definitely, uh, even, even now, like when I work with my coach, it's like, Hey, I can't do this. It's like, you know, and, and I get it because sometimes I can do all these things fine and I don't look like I'm limited, but really like I still feel pain. I still feel stiffness. I know if I do more of this, it's just, it's going to snowball into something worse. So I need to stop when I know I need to stop. Um, so yeah, there's definitely like, there's not a lot of people that understand, especially I think in my case where I, am someone that like, there's a lot of chronic pain people that don't do anything. Yeah. And, and they're a little more, it's like, okay, like, yeah, this person has fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome or chronic pain syndrome. And like, they might get a little more of a, uh, of soft love than the tough love, I guess. Um, which isn't always good either. So, uh, but yeah, it's, you're, it's rather a, um, lonely process to go through, especially like you're in a relationship or whatever. And like, you know, pain can affect your moods and what you're doing. And like, you're frustrated all the time and people don't understand it because they don't feel it. Yeah. And you look fine. You yeah, look good. Thanks. Yeah. You look great, Fred. I mean, really. <laughs> no, Thank but I, it, it's not like you have like a arm and a sling or a cast on. It's like, this is yeah. it's not visible to people. And then it's like, oh, am I just being, um, weak about it or like a baby about things or is it, you know, like just, yeah, I could see how that would be hard for you to gauge actually where you should push or where you shouldn't. And then also communicating to the people around you, like what, what's yeah. right for you. Yep. What's next. So what has worked for you? Like you, you work, you lift, you work out, um, you stay active, you know, warming up, but any, any other things that you found just, you know, if you wanted to give advice to somebody that is going through this, what, what would you tell them? What would be helpful? Um, the, my, from my own personal experience without, uh, without my physical therapy background. So this is just Brett, not, not Dr. BS talking, uh, <laughs> is, um, for one, like you always have to advocate for yourself. Mm. Um, if you feel like something is wrong, like you need to speak up about it. And if you don't feel listened to be louder, uh, or find, go find someone else that will listen to you. Uh, for one, 
always be active is my other piece of, um, you know, so much. And we see this all the time too of like, and, and we see it uh, with different types of people and even different cultures. And, um, you know, we're, we're, as a society, we're living longer, but we're not living any better. Like our rates of disability just keep continuing to go up and up and up. And if we just look at, you know, just, just basic management of your health of if we work out every day, like we have a huge decrease of the risk of, uh, further or other possible diseases, um, metabolic disease and metabolic conditions like, uh, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, all these things go down when we exercise, where when we don't exercise, we see an increased risk of all of them and increased severity as well. So, uh, find whatever you can do, uh, especially something you enjoy and try to do that as best you can. Um, don't fall for the, the passive superficial fixes. So, um, we see this all the time of it. And you see this a lot with like people that want to lose weight too, but don't want to live an active lifestyle mm. or just don't appreciate an active lifestyle of like, there's always the next big thing, the next fad diet or whatever. You see this with chronic pain too, of I'm going to go to the pain clinic and they're going to prescribe me pills. I'm going to go and this guy's going to give me a cortisone injection and that's going to, you know, band-aid me for a while. And then I'm going to try, um, uh, you know, this supplement and then I'm going to do this, this other thing where it's like, what if we change your diet? We eliminate all the crap out of it and we start working out. I don't care how you work out. Just do something to move uh-huh. your body, uh-huh. uh, on a daily basis. Those are the two big things. We're like, we see it culturally too. So we see people doing all these diets or aches and pains, even um, not chronic pain, but just chronic pain of one joint, say. Uh, it's like, oh, well, the doctor gave me a shot. I don't need to go to physical therapy. It's like, mm, you probably should. Mm. Uh, or, you know, you, you didn't get pain just because you, uh, you know, because you didn't get a cortisone shot. Something precipitated the pain coming on. Uh, and... And then we look at people that just kind of lay down to some of these things uh, and you see it with like older individuals, especially in certain um, cultures and, and populations where it's like, no, like mom doesn't do anything like um, like Italian, Spanish, um, some other, I think Indians are quite like that too, where it's like, you know, as a the younger side of the family takes care of the older generations mm-hmm. and it's like, mm-hmm we have the biggest trouble getting those people better because they just, it's like learned disuse and like learned helplessness. Mm. It's like someone else will do this for me. But like, really, if like you want to get out of pain or manage your pain better, you really need to take this on and do it for yourself. And that includes you actively participating in the process, not looking for something passively. So yeah, like the at being active, finding something to keep you active, to give you it sounds like almost like a reason to get up and and get out there and and live your life regardless yeah. of what's going on. And so like for me that's weightlifting, mm-hmm. right? And that's been the biggest thing because it's going to try to flex me over. I'm trying to stay upright and it's really done that for me and like if I didn't if if I meet a day where I don't care about weightlifting anymore, um, I would stop trying and I'm not going to do that because I, I've just, I've become so passionate about the sport and doing it. 
uh, not even to do it well. I just, I love the process of it. I love the challenge of it. So for me, it's been that, that like, that's what keeps me doing all the mobility and stuff I should be doing anyways, uh, to not get stiff that I need to keep going with. Um, where I think everyone needs some type of why, whether it be, you know, kids, grandkids, anything like they, they have to have a why, but behind why they exercise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, not even just in, anybody even that doesn't have chronic pain, I think you need to keep that in, yeah. in front of you. But yep. then, um, cause you were, we talked a little bit about, Oh, um, pain, you know, the, the model is really biomechanical or that might be still taught. Um, and I think for you, that's probably accurate. Like there's physiological things happening in your body that's causing you pain. Um, but have you seen, what's your experience also with like the, the other components, the social, the emotional, the mental, um, pieces of pain, do you see like, your pain go up or down depending on like your stress levels or, or how you're feeling? Um, and also are there, um, ways that you can maybe, I don't want to say control, but have affect your pain levels, um, outside of just physiological processes. Does that make so sense? It, Sorry, that was a lot of this, questions. <laughs> is this Dr. Brett now? Mm. No, this is back to regular Brett. Just, I want to know about you personally. Okay. So, um, for me personally, uh, I seem to have certainly good days and bad days. Um, sometimes I don't always know why, uh, sometimes I feel like I could eat good, sleep good, train really well, have had like a deload week and then I'll go to workout on Saturday, which is like, you know, game day for us. And I could still feel like trash. Other times I'll have a really hard training week, uh, feel like trash all week, go into Monday thinking it's going to be garbage. And then I feel great. Not always a reason why don't know. Um, I definitely notice, you know, I, I found over time being a business owner and entrepreneur that, uh, you can't out train stress. So the more things we put on ourselves, um, that's one thing that definitely, uh, gets in the way of performance sometimes. And so like, you know, with all I've done in the past year, like training's kind of taking a back seat and I'm okay with that. That's been my, I've realized like my expectation, um, to have a big day when like I have 12,000 things going on in my office and, you know, we're putting out fires left and right. Like, yeah, it's not going to be the best time to, uh, try to be a Olympic, uh, gold medalist weightlifter. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, so for me, it's just been, it's a mixed bag and, you know, there are different things like stressors will, uh, get in the way of different things. But for me now, I've, I've come to have such a, 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 from a clinical perspective, a fairly good understanding of pain. We still, as, as researchers and scientists, there's still a whole lot we don't know. But I understand enough of the basic concepts where pain doesn't affect me as much anymore. So from my own personal standpoint, I can't... St that's why I was asking if this is the Dr. Brett. My, my own learnings of pain, and this is what I do with patients too, yeah. is teach them about pain and how it affects us and what affects pain that really can change your understanding of it, how you manage it and what your long-term outcome is going to be like. Yeah. I think that's a great transition then if you want to go put on the Dr. Brett hat. Um, because I saw you put in the notes, like the, the locus of the control internal versus external. Um, did you want to touch on that in terms of 
um, how that how that affects like how you would talk to somebody or what you would recommend? Yeah. So going off of what I said to transition to the next piece. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is Dr. BS now. Is one of the big things we see. I like see. that Dr. BS though. This is good. I like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's my MO. Um, so what we see is there's basically two different types of people. Um, and I read this in our kind of notes there too, of there's people that will just take whatever is told to them and go with it, believe it as, you know, full blown truth. And then there are other people that are like, no, this is not the option. This is not what I'm doing. I'm going to be driven in the complete other direction of what I want. And so, what I've seen as a clinician and, and what I've seen with myself too is, is we have, and what we have to understand is we have two locuses of control, right? So we have internal and external locuses of control. Uh, an internal locus of control is one where it's, you are the controller of your environment and you are the one that's responsible for the consequences of your behavior and the choices you have. External locus of control is when the consequences of your behaviors are outside of your control, right? So what do we, what different personality sets do we see there? We kind of see like a growth, a growth mindset with an internal versus a closed or fixed mindset with the external. So um, we'll see with an internal locus of control, someone that has a better uh, set on that as we'll see people have better academic performance. They'll have better interpersonal relationships. They'll give greater efforts to learning, be more open into learning. They're more likely to be humbled uh, by like the learning experience uh, and, and being open to that. Um, and they have lower rates of uh, disease too, uh, where people that fall more towards this, and it's a spectrum, right? So people that are more towards the external um, it's these conditions are designed as they are. It's like, I can't go to the gym because I have bad knees, right? Uh, they have lower efforts to deal with their own health. Um, I can't go to the gym because I have high blood pressure. I can't do this because I have this. There's a lot of, I can't, I can't, or I was told I have bad knees, so I shouldn't do this. And all it takes is telling them once sometimes. And, and they're kind of, and it's really hard to, to get some of these people back. Um, and they really don't have much of a level of, uh, dynamic variation of like their mindset is their mindset. You can't change it. There's not much adjustment to be had there. Um, so it's, this is the way it is. This is happening to me. This is the kind of lay down on the ground and this is just how my life is going to be. And let's just be depressed about it. Um, so we need to think about those things and we see with this, uh, and this is bringing in the pain science too, is people that have that more of an internal locus of control, just in general in life will have better success, um, with managing chronic pain, uh, because they're taking an active role in it. They're not accepting no for an answer. It's like, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be something. They're always going to try something. They're going to be open to different ideas. Uh, they'll be open to different providers. Um, whether one provider is right or wrong, uh, being open to it and finding the best one for you is the best versus I went to this person, they told me this, and now I'm just going to accept this and go home and take these pills forever and sit in my lazy boy. So 
um, there's a lot there. And so that goes into what we do know about the biopsychosocial model. So uh, as we stated, like as medical providers, we're traditionally trained, you know, whether it be physical therapists, chiropractors, uh, surgeons, ER docs, primary care physicians, we practice the biomedical model of pain where you have um, a broken bone, a severed nerve, uh, you know, a tendoni- tendonitis, uh, a torn labrum, you have to have pain. That's why you have pain. We now know, so, so I got into pain science when I, was, when I had started grad school or, or I was halfway through grad school. Uh, and this was on my outside time. Like I was just listening to podcasts and stuff all the time and reading and, and following some really interesting uh, people in the field. And I was like, oh, there's, there's a lot more to this than, you know, and it was like some interesting facts started coming up where like in the past 10, 15 years or so, we started doing MRIs of people that didn't have pain. Cause before it was like, I have pain. I go to the doctor, I get an MRI. Yeah. That's why you have pain. And someone said, oh, let's start interviewing people that don't have pain. It's like, oh, 50% of the people that have like disc herniations in their spine don't have any pain. Oh, 40% of people between the ages of 20 and 40 have uh, de- degenerative changes in their hip and um, soft tissue injuries around the hip too with no pain. And um, 96% of 20-year-olds have abnormal findings on MRI without any issues. And they're like, well, if 96% of are abnormal, what actually is normal, right? Yeah, right. And then we have people like fibromyalgia chronic pain syndrome, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, mm-hmm. um, all these different things where scan the body head to toe and there's no sense okay. of pain. And then, and then we start doing all these pain studies and we see uh, that, um, oh, looks like there's no, no center of the brain that is responsible fully for pain. The only thing we see when we stimulate or give someone a noxious or painful stimulus to the, to the body, the only thing that lights up in the brain is the emotional center all across the board. So pain we know is related to emotion. And, uh, and then we start looking at these studies of perception and those are really interesting too. So now we start looking at, and I'll give some examples. So one I just read about and, and listened to a talk on was uh, this guy uh, was working and he stepped on a nail and the nail went all the way through his boot out the top. And he was in so much pain that the medics arrived and he was like on the verge of passing out anyways from the pain and like, um, like hyperventilating and everything. They had to sedate him. They gave him morphine and then some other sedative to basically put him out. They get him to the hospital. The, they go to take the boot off. The nail had not even hit his foot. The nail went right between his toes but his perception was so bad, right. even though nothing physical had happened, his perception was so bad that he had passed out. They've also done some pretty cool studies with, um, they did one with laser pointers and they said this was like a, sh- a study where they need to put these lasers in these uh, areas of the body where, uh, you know, they were safe. So they're going to scan the body first. So then they have this dubious practitioner come on and scan the body. And it's like, uh, you know, the thing starts beeping or whatever. And it's like, yeah, we don't know. And it's like, but it'll be fine. 
So they do the scan and they also had a red laser and a blue laser. Now they didn't tell people anything about these lasers, but these people had a perception of a, of a cognitive association. So they'd scan the safe areas and then they got to the, the part where the person suspected and didn't trust the clinician enough because that scanner had gone off. So when they go with the laser, these people felt a significant increase in pain and the sensation was either hot or cold based on mm. the red or, or the red or blue. But they were like gas station, like laser pointers that had no, <laughs> they had no Nothing. thermal effect to them. Yeah. But their perception drove them into pain. Um, they've done the same thing with like a hot plate uh, on someone's back and they have someone else turn it up and it's not plugged in. There's no hot plate. There's no temperature. Yeah. But you can perceive yeah. there to be one. Um. It even goes deeper than that. So then they said, okay, like this is all kind of conscious reaction type stuff. Let's go subconscious, right? So there was actually a study they did where we took um, two groups of people. And so we had uh, a group on an actual drug and a group on a placebo. What they did is they just changed the side effects or, or changed the expectation of the side effects. So they told the group on the drug that I think had mild to moderate side effects of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. And they said, mild to moderate side effects for you. For the group on the placebo, they said, you're actually, this drug is, is really good, but you're going to have moderate severe side effects of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Now, these are things we always thought were outside of our control. Turns out they're not. Mm -hmm. So the control group that was on a sugar pill actually ended up with more severe side effects because they were told that they were going to have more severe side effects of things we didn't think we could control, uh, which really throws a lot of things out there. And then they've even done some things with like performance and racing and just positive and negative outcomes of uh, you put people on a spin bike and you put a smiley face on the screen in front of them versus a, a negative face, the 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 group with the smiling face performed 10% better. Uh, so what we really see now is our communication with patients is so crucial mm -hmm. to sending the right message to them uh, and letting them know uh, what's, what's possibly going on with them, but doing it in a, in a beneficial and empowering manner versus X, Y, Z. So, um, yes. So, so the big thing we need to think about, um, is we practice in the biopsychosocial model. So what we know now is just because you have an injury doesn't mean you have pain, right? And so a, a couple other things to think about with this is, um, as soon as you break a bone, but once you recast it and you put it in a cast, the bone's still broken, but it doesn't usually hurt anymore. Uh, you could also, um, you know, I do it all the time. Like I work in a gym, smash your leg on a bar. You don't, but you just like keep walking, you know, you go about your day. And then two days later, you look down at your quad and you're like, oh my God, like, how did I get this bruise? I don't even know. But then all of a sudden it starts to hurt. Yeah. Then you notice it. Right. Um, you know, and then we could get a headache, but no one ever thinks like a, uh, they have a headache. So their head's broken. It's just, you take some ibuprofen and it goes away. But then, it, uh, you know. And we could have all kinds of other things, but then like, uh, so broken bones don't hurt, but like you get a little paper cut 
and then you put some hand sanitizer on it, and then you're really in pain. And so, so we know pain isn't uh, linear. It's not correlated all the time. Yeah. And that injury doesn't always mean pain, right? And so an, an injury is just uh, some physiologic trauma. So you get hit, you break a bone, you sever a nerve, you have a wound, something like that. It's, it's physical. Pain is just the, experience, the, the sensory emotional experience of pain. When um, our stress exceeds our ability to cope with that stress, typically. So we have this biopsychosocial model of, well, we have that bio part, right? So the biology is, yes, there's trauma to the area. Um, we have tearing of a tendon, we have these things. So those are contributing factors and sometimes they can play a role, right? But then we also have to look at, well, what from a um, psychosocial standpoint is, what are we telling this person? What have they been told? Do they have anxiety? Um, what are their coping mechanisms? What are their own beliefs about this? Do they think they can get through this? And then looking at what does their environment look like? So what activities do they participate in? Do they want to? Are they trying to? Do they have a supportive uh, network at home? Um, you know, what things are they trying to do that maybe they can or can't? Um, you know, what is their, unfortunately, socioeconomic status? All these things play into how someone will manage pain. Um, and so it's pain is multifactorial now. And so much of what we get changes based on the expectations, um, based on what we're given. So what we want to, so this, so this comes to basically life is basically like a cup. And, and I tell patients this all the time is, is my analogy is a cup. So we have pain. And so we have these kind of this bio psycho and social aspects, right? And your life is the cup. And it's like, well, what is happening? Is the cup overflowing? Is the cup leaking? Um, what are the ingredients that we're putting into it, right? And so from this broad s s perspective, like what can we change? And so like right now I have uh, a girl who I'm working with and we're basically, basically doing like health and wellness coaching instead of physical therapy. And it's not what she expected. She came in, she's had uh, six knee surgeries. She's had... Uh, part of her temporal lobe and her hippocampus removed. So she has issues with like spatial learning and um, some cognition and memory stuff. And she came in, she's like, I don't know if this matters, but I've had these two procedures. I was like, okay, yeah, those are important. Um, but more importantly than that, uh, she tore her ACL playing hockey and doing all these things, but um, she's had six knee surgeries, but then she had... I guess the surgeon's like a family friend. The surgeon told her, uh, I regret the way I did my surgery. I don't want to touch her knee anymore. Then she went to another surgeon who told her, yeah, this knee is like messed up. I don't want to touch this knee either. Wow. Yeah. She went to a physical therapist that basically told her like, suck it up. Um, this is what you're going to have to deal with. And... Um, there are a few other pieces there too. Now, she came to me with this understanding that basically her knee was fucked, but she wanted to see if there was anything else she could do to potentially get better. 
She had to give up hockey. She gave up a college hockey scholarship. Um, she snowboards, but it gets in the way all the time. Uh, there's some so many other different pieces. But really, she had no understanding of why she had pain, um, what made it worse, what could make it better, anything like that. So I gave her like strength and conditioning things now. And now when she comes into the office, I, I tell her, I'm like, you ready for some life coaching today? Because what we've done since then is we started with, well, what's going in and out of the cup. So what we found out was she has a horrible work schedule and sleep schedule. So she typically, and her pain was waking her up every night too. Or so she thought her pain was waking her up. What we found out is she was drinking uh, four black coffees by noontime, two energy drinks by three o'clock, and then pre-workout in the afternoon. So her, her nervous system is like all jacked up. Yeah. So let's remove those triggers. So we, we, we've cut that down by half. Um, she also uses nicotine. That's another thing that can jack up the nervous system and her heart rate and everything else. Um, so we're slowly trying to wean her off that. We also looked at what is your workouts or your activity look like? So she had no set schedule to her snowboarding. So we had her start. So she has like a fitness track. So we had her start tracking her mileage, um, of when you get to a certain level of pain, we need to kind of call it a day there, or we need to just, if you know that like at the three hour mark, you get into more pain, then we need to cut it at three hours and come back the next day. Um, we've worked on that. We've worked on sleep hygiene of she would keep the TV on all night, uh, and the windows open. And so, uh, and then like Blu-ray blocking glasses and all these different things that we've worked on. Uh, and then just her mindset about pain and that it's okay to feel pain, but she really needed to get stronger. She didn't have enough strength in her leg either. So biologically we're working on getting it stronger. However, um, so much of it has to do with, and then, oh, and then there was a surgeon that wanted to immediately realign her knee. Well, she has no leg strength. So even if we immediately realign a knee, it doesn't matter because she has no lateral strength in her leg. She does like two sets of five and she's smoked and her legs are shaking like she's never walked before. And it's like, well, this is why we need PT, but um, without doing all these other things for teaching her to understand her pain and what can trigger it, um, there would have been no getting her better. And so she's luckily doing much better now. Um, but it came down to removing all the bad ingredients, making the cup bigger. And how do we make the cup bigger? Well, we train. We're going to find all the things you can do well enough that don't hurt you. We're going to build those up, right? Make you stronger. Let the things, get rid of some of the things that hurt. Let that calm down, calm shit down and build it back up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, that's a really nice use case about, it's not just a, like you said, oh, this is your, this is broken. Here's why we'll fix it. It really have to look at the whole picture to understand what's going on and these different layers, maybe one of those wouldn't made a difference, but adding on the sleep, the nicotine, the strength, like those all together start to help. But without looking at the big picture, you might be fighting a battle that you're just never even gonna, you don't even have a chance at yeah, because you're just it, replacing it, a knee and that's it and you're stuck. Yeah. 
And it's it's funny because we had the conversation the other day where she was in like a chronic 7 out of 10 pain every day. And now she's at the point where she's only having pain really two days a week. Um, but she says it's worse on those days. I was like, well, it's kind of like dealing with chronic pain sometimes. If we can get it better is really like um, it's like you start working in a new office and there's like this clanging that just happens in the background. And all the other employees are used to it by now, right? But it's like you're, it's your first day here, and all you hear is this. You haven't you haven't gotten used to it yet, right? No one else thinks anything, but it drives you crazy. And then eventually you get used to it, right? That's what happens with chronic pain too. Is like we start making these decisions based on our pain, and they don't we don't see them affect us as much. Now she's now that she's made better decisions uh, of let's stop at a certain time, let's remove some of these things, let's eat a little bit better. Uh, that was another one. She like wasn't eating nearly enough calories for her, so her body was just in distress. Uh, but we make, now that she's making better decisions and she's seeing the positive results of that because she's put herself in control of it now and she's taken ownership of it, of like, yeah, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm a shithead and like I got to stop being one. But now that she's done that, she's like, the pain's almost worse on the other days. I'm like, well, it's like you that that noise went away, right? And so now that it's back, it sounds louder than ever. But we'll just kind of get used to that again. Yeah. And and it's like now now it sounds like they're sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Now now it sounds like they're slamming the door down, but it's really just a knock. The same. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you, cause I feel like my personal experience which, which is not like, I wouldn't say insane by any means, but I think it's a nice um, window into that because I do have a lot of pain silence background and I understand it. And I, when I first met you, I had this knee pain, right? I told you about, it. and it was like, perv- I could barely even squat. Like it was terrible and it had been going on for nine and months I, and I had and I had to do box squats right <laughs> like I could barely like <laughs> do anything but I've I realized that I might have done something to it but that was right when COVID happened I moved across the country to California to live in my sister-in-law's house I was super stressed at work I wasn't sleeping I was like all of these things I stopped working out I lost my social all of this had come together and I was, I got to a point where I paid like a lot of money out of pocket. Cause I was quite sure my knee was like dangling off. Like it was about to explode. And I got an MRI and he's like, no, looks fine. And he, and I went mm-hmm. to the sports doctor and he couldn't, he's like, it's fine. And I'm like, I can't like, it's like, it's like a night out. It was so bad. And then I moved back here and like found, you know, your gym. I found a social network. I made changes in my work. I made a lot of changes and it just, it's gone, gone, totally mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. Fine. And I didn't do anything to like, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe some single leg, uh, whatever those things are. I didn't wear those. Yeah, RFE squats, yeah. really, really good. <laughs> those did help, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. so many things that come into this. And, um, you know, there's there's so much to dealing with the chronic side of it, too. And, like, that, you know, maybe with some acute factors. And, again, it's like looking at the cup of what stresses were in there. Like, were we sleeping? Were we eating? Were we – what were we eating? Uh, how stressed are we? Because – what we can think about too is, um, again, pain is 
a uh, sensory experience based on our uh, tolerance or our ability to cope with the stress that we perceive, right? And so uh, part of what I educate my patients on too is we have this thing we call an action potential threshold. So what an action potential threshold is, is it's just a neurotransmission of acetylcholine um, that signals for something to happen. So if I, you know, scratch myself here, I can feel that because I get a sense of it up that, that goes to my brain because I have time to focus on it right now. Maybe if I was out in the woods and I was running from a bear, I'm not going to feel this or worry about that right now, which is why we can bump ourselves and not feel it, right? However, um, if, if I do this all day, right, and I just keep scratching, like this doesn't hurt right now, I can feel it. But if I keep doing this all day, eventually the, the skin is going to get red and raw and eventually I'll probably break through uh, and I'll either create, you know, a blister, a callus, a wound, I'll cut open through skin. I don't know, uh, a rash. <laughs> so many right? options. And, yeah. I'll, and I'll, I'll feel that because the sum of the stimuluses over time uh, build up to be enough to cross through the threshold to create a sensation of pain. Okay. So we have inputs, whether they be threatening or non-threatening, they're inputs, right? Our body can perceive certain ones to be threatening too, some to not be. Um, that depends on our past too. However, so we have all these things that, that go back and forth and then the sum of them will shoot them over this line. Now, that line will move. So stress, you know, work stress, uh, lack of sleep, poor nutrition, uh, mental, emotional stress, relationships, whatever can vary this line, right? So all, if all these things are negative, it brings our ability to, to deal with that stress down. So pain will be perceived to be worse. Not that anything physically is wrong. It's just that it, it might be worse. Same reason why someone with, uh, you know, knee arthritis they, they may feel fine in the morning. They may feel worse at night because it's all they focus on because they have other things going on during the day to keep them distracted from it. Um, there could be biologic factors too of the way they position themselves at night could be part of it that's making it worse. But also like the anxiety of perseverating on it doesn't usually help anyone either. Um, so these are all just things that they're just, there's all these different fluctuations in um in that and even uh inflammation itself doesn't cause pain inflammation however uh increases our sensitivity to pain so uh there's some a lot of nuances to all that stuff too and then um thinking of of pain and, and what we've done in our previous experiences too there's a good story there's a ted talk uh, by this researcher, uh, Laura Moore Mosley on YouTube. And it's like 15 minutes and you can just look up oh, why, met, why we heard. I've met Laura Moore. I'm a fan. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. um, so you know his his uh, right. Australian white snake story or brown mm -hmm. snake, whatever it was? Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's a great example of like he talks about, um, and for those of you that don't know the story, he, he talks about like running in the woods as a kid and you could run all through the woods with his, with your brothers or whatever. And you could come out with cuts on your leg. And you don't know why, because you, you weren't focused on it. And all these signals didn't, weren't 
important enough for your brain to perceive as important. So they just never got there. Where one time he almost died because he was bit by a rattlesnake. I think it was a rattlesnake. Uh, and then he was talking about years later, walking through the woods with his wife and, you know, gets scratched. And, and last time this happened to him and he felt something like that, he almost died. So he has all this pain because he, you know, just doesn't, uh, doesn't, you know, his, his brain goes, well, last time you were out here, we almost died. So yeah. we're going to put you in a right. significant amount of pain when it could just merely be a scratch. Right. So, because your brain's trying to protect you and, um, you know, keep you from danger. And that was uh, a dangerous and signal. Um, but he even yes. had like the swelling and like, even like the physical reaction. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how, how much happens in this little noggin of ours um, mm -hmm. that you don't even realize how much it controls what, what's going on in the rest of your body. Yeah. Yep. It's almost yeah, unbelievable. So brain, yeah. It is. Yeah. Our brain's very good at capturing uh, moments in, in memories of things subconsciously and giving them to us. Yeah. Uh, and repeatedly. And that, and that can go for movement too. So, uh, you know, that that's like a traumatic experience that he really had. But even, um, you know, a lot of times like people have pain from deadlifting. Or they get hurt doing deadlifts. Uh, are they subject to increased pain when they go back to deadlifting? Absolutely. And we have to desensitize them to deadlifting and, and teach them again that like deadlifting isn't why they got hurt. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. Deadlifting was the increased physical stress that broke the camel's back. Unless, unless we ended up, you know, physically, it was so it was a max out rep, and they broke a bone or something like that. But other than that, they, um, you know, it was just that was the the increased stress that that was too much for them to cope with physically, mentally, emotionally. Their body started to feel pain. Um, when we get into herniations and things, that's that's an injury that that's something we need to medically manage. But if it was just, you know, you have low back pain from deadlifting, typically, uh, it's going to be you know, they, they could be doing great with rehab. We go back to deadlifting if we do too much too soon. Even though they could handle it now, their perception is this is where I got hurt. This is what happened. It's like, no, no, no. All these other factors, your your environment. And so this is where um, some people are like too much on pain science of uh, just, just keep working out. Like just load it and it'll get just better. Just like push through it. it yeah, okay. Push yeah. through it. Like buy, and there's like almost as like biology doesn't matter anymore. I was like, no, it does. Like, if we have flexion sensitive low back pain, so you know, if if we don't have a hamstring that can move well, and you don't know how to move your leg well or flex your leg and get into a deadlift position well, um, if you don't have good core endurance, right, we can end up with some of these things. So you sitting in a flexed posture all day, and we flex two to three thousand times a day, and then you're deadlifting, and, and we don't have uh, the technique for the level of stress. Well, all these things culminate into that's all flexion based. And now we threw more flexion at you. So yes, you got hurt. But it's like if we fix the chair and the environment and the beliefs and everything, sometimes that in itself is enough to heal someone um, and they can gradually go back to deadlifting. We just need to start with low exposure. Yeah, yeah. No, that's this is great. I think because um, I know it's been a long time we've been talking. I appreciate your time, by the way. Um one que one question like that I personally have is yes. like people that like let's say I sprain my ankle right and it hurts like mm -hmm. acute injury. Is there anything that you 
there's well, I actually have two questions. I'm sorry. One, is there anything? I have like 20 more minutes. So all that's right, fine. we can keep going. So one, is there anything that you can do to help somebody from kind of going into that chronic pain? Um, like from transitioning, like whether it's education um, up front, like have you been able to, to kind of put that in action or have any strategies around that? What was your second question? My second question, same scenario, but like, cause I see it all the time, especially you're in sports too. Like, oh, I, I sprained my ankle like 20 years ago. And then every season they go back and, oh, now their ankle hurts or whatever. I have this injury. Is it really an injury or is it just like a, like that, that you're just not, you're not desensitized or you're sensitized to that, that movement or whatever is causing you to feel pain even though you might mm-hmm. not actually have an injury. Yeah. So, so both are good questions. So for part one, um, how do you get or, or prevent a, an acute injury be, from becoming a chronic one? Uh, I think the biggest thing is load management. So do what you can. So one of our golden rules, uh, especially with, with chronic pain, um, it varies a little bit with chronic pain, but generally speaking, if someone has like low grade pain of, you know, a joint or something they've been dealing with for a long time, the golden rule is basically we can work out in a zero to four and be fine. We're not doing damage. Um, so realistically, like if, if you sprain your ankle at soccer, right, those things take forever to heal. Um, but you can be functional still, Right. And, and, and we see this too in the literature is um, with disc herniations, ankle sprains, tendinopathies, all kinds of different injuries is you can have pain or you can have, you can injure something and have pain too, right? So injury and pain, right? They're different. So you can have them both. And we can see that the injury gets better and heals but the pain's still there, right? We see that a lot with ankle sprains actually is people actually, the ankle heals faster than we think it does. And they're still left with pain because it's like, well, we've been weight bearing on it for months now. And it's just like the the brain says every time we walked for the past three months, we've had pain. So keep, keep, mm. keep painting it up. Right. Yeah. Uh, where um, you can also have the other side where um, that injury is still there or we have imaging that shows like the injury didn't change or didn't really get much better and their pain is gone. So they've learned to habituate and desensitize to whatever stimulus there may be. Uh, And so one of the big things is we want to let things calm down for a little bit, right? But then we want to start reintroducing load and we want to load to tolerance. So we want to work out zero to four pain. We want to be, um, the golden rule is really basically if you're at a zero to two, you can keep doing what you're doing. So like with weight training, uh, we're in the certain zone and like, maybe we start with a one, it goes to a two, right? That's okay. We can keep going. When it gets to a three, we might want to slow down. We can, ki- we can ki- continue the activity, but we might want to do less reps, do maybe some less sets, maybe do a little bit less weight, reduce the volume. Uh, if it gets to a four, we typically want to stop. Like that's the end of our session for today. Let's, let's go home, call it a day, and let's start fresh tomorrow. The other thing, too, we need to consider is um, if we go into a session 
and we have a two out of ten, uh, two out of ten pain, right? We can work up to that four out of ten pain, but I want to see that your pain goes back to its baseline of two within twenty four hours. If it's a two, it goes to a four, and it stays at a four for twenty four or more hours. We did too much. We need to back off. That's too much, because uh, it's just there's there's stress, recovery, and adaptation. So we need to just respect that, what we call the SRA curve, to be able to continue to uh, make positive process, progress, right? Instead of like like if you know, I'm managing a soccer team and everyone's got ankle sprains, we can't have the team doing this all year. We do at least, yeah, bumps and bruises are going to happen, but we can still kind of be on a steady incline. And that really comes down to loading it um, uh, appropriately in, in this level where our pain just doesn't go up uh, over that that baseline of, you know, maybe a two out of four. Um, because the other thing too, is like, if we don't keep loading things, we'll get into like learned non disuse. And then uh, we'll see atrophy and other issues come of like not loading an extremity or something. We, we see that with like stroke patients too, that just can't. Um, so we don't want to see that. Um, because then, and then it's just like, we get into fear avoidant behaviors where it's like, almost if we get back to our activities as soon as we can, sometimes depending on the situation, it's like, okay, we, we can still do this. Or it's like, Oh, it's been six months. I don't know. People are very hesitant and avoidant of certain things. Yeah. Yeah. But we still need to respect biology too. Like if you tore an ACL and we have a repair, we have staples, those need to heal. And um, there's even evidence now the, better predictor of, and I'm not a super, uh, super up-to-date on exactly what the literature states, but I'm pretty sure if you've torn an ACL, you've had it repaired, your likelihood of re-injury is greater based on your psychological readiness profile versus the actual state of healing in the joint. Because so much of the ACL too is like reaction time. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, pivoting, running, decelerating, accelerating. Um, part of that comes down to can the, does the brain know how to do that again? Yeah. And if you don't feel it's- ready for it consciously or subconsciously, um, we can see like, I'm pretty sure they'll see increased shear force through the joint, which could cause another tear. Wow. See? And I don't even think it, it, it might not have to do with the tear, but just some type of re injury or increased pain or just decreased performance. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll like having my, that un- yeah, you got to go check your references, but um I have an I'll have a I have a guest that I'll have on for this. Oh, perfect. We can get the the the, the real story, I guess, behind that. Yeah. But it makes sense. Like if you're uncertain or if it still seems dangerous, makes sense. Mhm. Yep. Well, thanks. I don't have anything else. I mean, um this is great. I could talk all day about this stuff, but um I think this helps at least me understand kind of that journey from a personal level. So for, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. And absolutely. Um, also just like kind of what's out there and what people are dealing with. It's um, it's a lot. And that's where, that's what I, I feel like <laughs> um, what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be a physical therapist or anything like that of that, but I think it's um, working together in terms of, finding a healthier way to live, reducing stress, nutrition, it just goes hand in hand. I mean, anybody can benefit from it, but um, even people that are dealing with pain 
um, seems like there's a lot of opportunity there. I would say too, the last thing for anyone that is still listening to this, that is in, in, in chronic pain is, um, excuse me, um, trying to find the positives in things, uh, and find providers that are also, um, you know, they might be, there might be some practical skepticism, but also, uh, positive in, uh, supporting you and your goals and whatever you want to do, understanding you. And, and that's really like what we try to practice here too, is, um, like all of my sessions I start with, like I make it a point when I go into an evaluation because we're, we're trying to find what's wrong and we're provoking pain and doing these things. But before I start with anything, um, my mentor taught me like the, the, the two big things I got from my mentor were, um, never say no. So no just has a bad connotation to it. It's been really, it was a really hard thing to break for a while, but it's like, if someone does something wrong, it's like can completely put them uh, in the wrong state of mind. So how we communicate is huge in those realms, but never say no and always start with a positive approach. So regardless of my findings, I'm always going to start with finding something this person does well, because we'll use that to their strength in rehab too. It's like, yeah, you know, you have a disc herniation and your right hip doesn't really move well right now. Uh, but before I'll even discuss that, it's like, hey, you know, we we did this, that, the other. And it's like, we found like you have great flexibility through your thoracic spine. Like you have a great toe touch. Uh, your left hip moves really well. I wish I had some of that. But, you know, our right one is, you know, we need some improvement on it. and But we can get there. Um, so finding someone that can do that uh, and help you in those ways versus tell you like, just give up. Um, there's a better way out there. Oh gosh. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're, yeah. we're lucky to have you here and uh, doing what you do. And I'm, I'm excited. I know you're gonna, you're gonna kill it. You got big plans. I'm excited to see what you do. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Sure. And uh, this is pretty cool. This is the first time I've really been able to uh, talk about my experience with pain uh, myself too. So it feels kind of good. Yeah. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, for everyone else, um, Janelle, where should everyone find you? And if they're looking for any type of, uh, coaching from you, where can they find you? Yeah. What is the name of your business? Um, it's called sensibly, sensibly well. So it's sensiblywell.org is my website. And then I'm sensibly underscore well on Instagram. And she also, well, you don't really, do you post any of your lifting these days? She's also a kick-ass weightlifter. What's your, uh, or is that private? No, that, I don't <laughs> put that on my business page. <laughs> Maybe I should. I don't yeah, know, but okay. You can more than welcome to follow me on Authentic Janelle, um, where I would post my 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 stuff. But yeah, I, I love lifting. I'm with you. I'm a, I'm a fan for life. So. Uh, yeah, we're going to the Pan American uh, Championships where maybe Janelle will take home uh, a title. I plan to. <laughs> I plan to. So. All right, cool. Well, we'll see you tomorrow, I suppose, uh, All right. <laughs> at the gym. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, no problem. Take care, everyone.